Hey, Mike. Hey, Michelle. How's it going? What? Welcome to Fargo. <laughs> Fargo. 408, the nadir, or the nader. Nader. Nader, yeah. What did you what? think of this episode, Michelle? Um, I thought it was really good. I mean, Fargo, it's it's getting better and better, I think. I thought it was... I thought it was great. Still great cinematography. The attention to de- detail in this episode and in all these episodes. But now that I've kind of relaxed into it and I'm able to kind of, you know, kind of know what's going going on a little bit better. I'm not having to, like, pay attention to everybody's name as carefully and all that. But the attention to detail is just astounding in these. All the way down to the embroidered pillow that Orietta smothers Josta with. It's like a perfect artifact of that time. It's, um, everything about it is just, it's a pleasure to watch. Well, everything about it, except where is the story going? It's very entertaining. And you're right, it's very cinematic and it's very dramatic and the music's cool and all the shots are cool and they're all interspersed and cut great and the acting's great, but where's the story going? What's the point? What's the meaning of this story? (laughs) Well, you know how we do, Mike. I mean, we do this frequently. We get to this point and we're like, there's no way they're going to be able to pull this out. This isn't going to work. Pull what out, though? There's There's not a point to pull out. Like in the season three, there was the pogroms and the people were wronged by the evil, you know, killers of Jews and it was very religious. And they were and, and over time, this these guys, these evil, even if they were like demonic spirits, I, I don't know quite how Varga matched up with that. But there was a there was a very strong religious theme and a point like there's comeuppance when you when you are unfair to a group of people even over centuries and they held that meeting in the bowling alley and they came and they got their comeuppance and their little purgatory and I don't know there was more of a direction tell me the direction for this season because I don't see it well I think they told us in episode one right it it started off with the Hebrews and then the Irish came and tried to take over and we didn't hear the story of the Hebrews and what they were doing and what the Irish did to take over. But then the Italians came. I think it's the story of the blacks trying to overtake the Italians and what happens from there. And there's also more to it, like there always is with Fargo. We have the, this, in in this episode, we had the um, hint at something ugly that happened with Josto when he was with the Italians. More than a hint, a confirmation. Well, yeah, but I mean a hint at what it was. He never Well, those are all little elements within this season, but I still don't have a direction of a story. What's the plot? Where's, you know, where's the, where's the conflict and where's the revolution, a resolution? You know, the story of America is those minorities coming to this country, not having equal opportunity, turning to crime, making their way through crime. You know, we've got kind of that, but that's a general truth about America. That's not a story plot. That's not a line. It's not a linear timeline for what, when you have, when you have like a, I don't know. I don't see a direction. It's very entertaining. I really like it, but I don't see, I'm not looking for the end of a story. I'm not looking for a resolution to anything. I'm looking to see who's going to win. And we also have to remember, this is one city, and that this was going on all over the whole United States, so it's like a snippet. It kind of reminds me a lot of the original Fargo movie. I mean, what was the plot of that? What was guy the... trying to cheat his own family for money. The car dealer kidnapping his well, own sure. wife. but that it's was very similar to no, that. No, that's not. That was a very specific plot. Tell me the plot in this. The plot is the the war between the the races trying to see who's going to come out on top. I don't know. I mean, I I I see a plot to it. I don't know who's well, going to win this specifically, do you? I think it, that's not even the point. I think in the movie the plot created all the events around it. 
it was a it was a crime to get essentially get money from the rich father-in-law that spun off all these other problems. They hired these thugs that caused a bunch of problems, you know, that killed innocent people along the way. The police chief or whatever her name was, the Frances McDormand got involved. She was compelling her husband, doing the stamps. All that was spun around the plot, the the idea of stealing money from the father-in-law. That was a very strong line upon which all those other things spun. I just don't see that here. How is the black coming in? The blacks coming into this community and trying to take over crime from the Italians not a plot? It's not. I think it's a truth about America. I think it's a truth about gangs in America. Well, sure, but that doesn't make it not a plot. How? I mean, it's the same thing it's to me. A, okay. So this is how it's going to go now, huh? Well, I, I don't know if you quite understand what I'm saying. There's, you know, no, I guess I get what you're saying. I, a, I get poor, what you're a saying. poor, a poor, a, an underachieving car dealer owner wants more than he has. He feels more privileged than he has, so he can, he cooks up a plot to get money from his father-in-law. That's a very strict set plot. There's no set plot in this. Well, Italians wanting to overcome Italians right? wanting to overcome Irish. Now, blacks wanting to overcome Italians is not a it's not a storyline. It's just a bunch of events that happen in this, but I don't see the plot. I don't see the the central core. Okay. Well, maybe they'll somehow pull it out, and it'll be something that you are able to see better by the time they get get done with it. So this this would be your least favorite then of the. No, I'm talking about the whole season, Michelle. I'm very entertained by all these separate episodes, but I don't see the theme to it. I don't see the plan. I don't see Noel Hawley's plan is his, you know, the the central core. You know, I've said it five times, so. Well, see, this is the kind of stuff I like, and we've had this conversation many times, too. I like the little glimpses of things, and it doesn't have to be anything more specific or dynamic than that the story is the story so i mean i i like it it's the cannons versus the fadas and and i mean good grief the whole rabbi and satchel part of it is enough of a plot for me okay but i understand that it's not as maybe defined as you would like it to be at this point. And I, I, I can see that. So what did you think of the episode overall? Well, like I said, this particular episode and every episode in and of itself, are they're very entertaining. But I don't know what I'm waiting to be resolved here. <laughs> you know, I, I, see, I, I think I see a bunch of murder between the Italians and the black gang. I think that's pretty ine- inevitable. I think we kind of, I kind of think Mike Mulligan is Satchel, or Satchel's Mike Mulligan. Um, so I think his escape is kind of interesting, but that's not the that's not the story thread of this season. Does, does Satchel get away? You know, do the blacks win? Do the Italian Italians win? I'm I'm looking for that storyline and and that resolution. I don't I don't know what I'm expecting to be resolved by the end of the season. Okay. I mean, we know a little bit because this is kind of a prequel to some of the other Fargo's we've seen. We know the Fargo gang comes in, and we, you know some of those guys are in other seasons. Um, but I've said it six times now. <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> okay. In this particular year, in this season four, what's the thread? What's the caper? You know, maybe how we ended up with Mike Milligan. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe how... I don't think we know everything yet. Like I said, I think there's other stuff that's going to come out. Well, of course. That's how, that's true of any season. You don't know till the end, but... Well, we start off with a back-and-forth like narrative between Josto having dinner with his betrothed, Desi, and her wannabe mayor father, shoving bloody huge pieces of steak into his mouth and chewing disgustingly, 
and a kinky sex game with Orietta where she's tying him up and smothering him with the aforementioned pillow, decorative pillow. So, Michelle, is, was there anything about this particular... Forget the whole whether we agree on the plot, whether there's a threat or not. Okay. Was there anything about this episode that you looked at and said, hmm, that doesn't really make sense? I'm not trying to spin this all negative because I, I do really love this show, but it seems like I'm the one that picks on stuff and you just kind of don't. But was there anything in this season, in this particular episode 8 that you didn't like or seemed incongruent to you? There was a couple things that I could pick apart if I wanted to. You know, Gatano changing his whole attitude on Josto while Josto was out. I thought that was a little a little weird. Um what else? How about just the way this guy's chewing his meat? Josto's chewing his steak with his front teeth and keeping half of it outside of his mouth. Yeah, well, he's doing that thing so we can see it. But it's like, yeah, it's like that's that's not how you eat steak, though. No, well, I mean, first of all, it looks like he took like half a steak and shoved it in his gullet, and it's bloody. He's like chewing it, and blood's like running out. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to show that he's. I mean, he's disgusting. That's not how and you he's... eat that. That's not how you chew meat, though. You don't chew it with your front teeth. You, you put it inside your mouth. You close your mouth and you chew it. Even if you, even if you're slobby and you chew with your mouth open, you don't chew it with it hanging out the front of your mouth. It, it just seemed overly, gra- overly created to be graphically gross looking. When that's really not how people eat a piece of meat like that. Well, it's not, and and the way he was sitting there making the mouth thing to her father. Okay, but the I mean, steak thing doesn't bother you? You just go, okay, that's... No, I just po- I pointed out. I po- it does bother me. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. No, no, mouth- no. Not that it's disgusting. That it's not how people... That's not how... It's not real. A lot of this isn't real, real, Mike. They can't be disgusting with someone chewing a piece. I mean, I guess they could stick it in the back of your mouth and, you know, smack your lips and stuff. But I think the point is it's it's like the way Orietta walks. That's not real either. The Iceman popping up and people seeing, or, you know, uh, Zelmar and Swanee seeing him whenever. That's not real. Um, a lot of things aren't real. So if we're going to pick on stuff like that, I think we could definitely do that. But I think that he was just, they're just showing he's just, he's disgusting. That's all I got from it. Okay. Okay. Well, Desi's father wants to wait until after the election for their wedding in case he loses because he doesn't want Desi to actually marry him because he is disgusting. But naive Desi says they're hopelessly in love. And this is when Josto's making the crude mouth images when she isn't looking. So what's the plan there? What's the plan with Josto and what's that dude's name? Milvin? Melvin? Milvin? Um, He, Josto, I think, is getting him. He's either getting him the Italian vote for mayor or he's somehow doing something with the election yeah he's maybe going to strong arm people not like if you if i see you voting i'm going to burn your business down or you know if i see you voting against him or something who knows right but do something that's that's my take on that but we're going back and forth between that conversation and then or at Orietta is like really enjoying smothering josto and this is where we see the fargo cut out and begin the episode. It's Orietta Sixiation. Yeah, she's she's liking that. She's liking smothering him. So anyway, I'm not gonna comment too much on that. So Josto and Orietta you commented are on the, the pillow. I, well the, the pillow was actually pretty nice. Pretty nice pillow. Josto and Orietta are in the aftermath of their kinkiness, smoking and discussing her calling as a nurse. And then Josto just very casually says he's getting married, but it's just business. It shouldn't affect us. And he expects that not to bother her. And well, so, okay, Michelle, say, so we do know more, a lot more about each of them now. So we, 
I mean, what do you know about Munchausen's by proxy? You're, you're a nurse, you're a pro- medical professional. Did you ever hear of that or see any of that? I never saw it, but um, of course I know what it is, yeah. Where you, where you attempt to make someone else sick and you care for them for the attention. So that's clearly what happened to Orietta by her mother. Right. And that's probably, maybe not clearly, but I'm, I, I would call it clearly, why she does it to other people. Well, she doesn't do that. You don't kill somebody with Munchausen's by proxy. You might accidentally kill somebody. You don't want to kill them. That's not the goal, I don't think. I think the goal is just you get used to somebody being ill and the attention and the help and whatever that might bring you is my understanding of it anyway. Okay, so do you think Orietta is human or above or below human or non-human? Do you think she's a human or non-human? I haven't really seen anything that's made me believe she's not human but so I'm I, I guess I have to go with human, but she's certainly evil. So if if she's just human, then she's I think there's something about her. What do you think? Well, I think the Munchausens by her mother. I'm calling it that. She doesn't call it that, but I think that's probably what it is i think that's what they were alluding to because she was failure to thrive and she talked about her mom making her a special her special drink and all that always making her sweet orietta her special juice so she her mom was giving her something that made her sick and right probably and she couldn't eat right yeah probably laconic and you know just laid around sick all the time but i'm i think that's what is driving orietta's you know her motives now she's she's harming people because of what she learned from her mother even though it's not exactly the same she's not munchhousing her patients but her action towards her patients i think is driven by what her mother did to her or maybe she's brain dead i don't know i don't know i don't know what we're going to find out about Orietta. But my question to you about whether she's non-human, I agree. I think she's, I agree that she is human because of some stuff that happens in this episode. Like her being worried about getting caught is very human. If she was some sort of evil being that could escape easily or do things above human, she wouldn't be so wor- as worried as she is about getting caught. Right, she wouldn't get anxious. She wouldn't feel so, trapped. Right. And now she's feeling kind of trapped by this guy getting shifted to another hospital. I have to say that her and Josto's relationship is one of the most dysfunctional I've ever seen, I think, in a um, series, a TV series. And did you remember that Josto was traded? I did not remember that, did you? No, I didn't remember that either. So Jost was traded to the Irish, and then, remember, if you remember the crimes they stamped when they showed the black and white pictures? The mm-hmm. Irish dad, the Irish patriarch guy, was sexual crimes was his proclivity. I did not remember so that. So poor Josto, okay. as little Josto, got the butt end of that. He got abused by that old Irish dude. That's probably why it's so easy to to kill him. Well, Josto didn't kill him. I mean, it's probably it probably happened to Milligan, too. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. He probably abused all those little dudes, all those little boys. Wow. Okay. That didn't even cross my mind when I saw this. But yeah, Orietta had failure to thrive. That's actually like a diagnosis that they use when kids aren't aren't growing babies i mean it's what i've seen it used with but it, i'm sure it would happen with kids too i would think it could and they just they don't gain weight and they're just not not growing like they should typically but Josto says well that sounds terrible but i've had it worse and they should see it we don't follow up on that and then Orietta asks him if he loves his wife to be, and he says he he stammers around, and then he says she knits. <laughs> and Orietta says, "Well, I knit." 
And then Josto goes to the bathroom and Mabel Harvard, Orietta transforms into Mabel Harvard, picks up the phone, finds out that Dr. Harvard has made a full recovery and she is very distraught over that. Well, this jealousy thing from Orietta, I'm sorry I'm a step behind you here, but this jealousy thing of Orietta too is more human than some evil, you know, symbol of evil or symbol of something other than human. She's very sure. human in this episode. She's pinned back to earth for me. She's very human, and I don't think she's some witch or some evil being. I think she's a crazy, probably a victim of her mother, but crazy human with human traits. Not there's a whole thing at the end of this about the Wizard of Oz and all that stuff. But I think she's. I don't think she's a evil being. I think she's an evil human. I mean, I, mean, I, think, I think you're, you're probably, probably right. right. But Josto comes back in the room and he wants to tell her a secret. And she doesn't even want to hear it. And then he continues on with her. He says, the devil is an Irishman. And he talks about that, the things that he was traded and he lived with him for three years. And he did things that should never be done to a child. And Oriana doesn't want to hear any of this. She's shushing him. And he says it's hard stuff that he's sharing because he thinks he loves her. And then she freaks freaks out and kicks him out. He makes her sick. And Josto says, well, that's love. That's what love is. Almost threw up in the bathroom thinking about telling you. Well, that's an interesting line to re- to recap that he makes her sick. <laughs> I like where mother's Munchausen. That is interesting. Orietta gets dressed to run out the door telling him to have fun at his wedding. And... He thinks the whole thing is just jealousy. But, of course, we know that's part of it, obviously. She did not like the fact that he was getting married. I mean, dang, Josto, read the room. You just, that's, I don't know what he was expecting. But but part of it was also her being distraught over Dr. Howard. That was part of that attitude. But Josto's in a phase. We see this cool view from the hood ornament of his car as he's leaving. And he's hearing the music in his head. He's kind of doing the, orchestrating the music, kind of like Gatano does. He pulls up to the clubhouse. Gatano is there, all bloody. And he's bloody still. So this he's just gotten out. He's surrounded by all the guys. And Gatano beats the crap out of Josto, knocks him out. Josto comes to, he's all bruised and battered. He gets up, and Gatano comes back over to him, circling him, drinking a beer. He calls him Sleeping Beauty. And then he starts, like, saying this stuff admirably. He says he murdered a child to have Gatano killed. He hugs him. He's proud of him. And then he turns on to everyone, this is my brother. This is what he's done. And it balls looking on in disapproval. I think I think eBay violence is looking on as, like, like an observation of stupidity because this is like you know they talk about three third degree chess or three you know three levels of chess ahead um Gaetano misinterprets Josto's stupidity as brilliance you set this all up you're brilliant you're the snake you're the cobra you're the thinker I'm the muscle but Josto is just stupid and and things by chance by fate turn out to look intelligent, but they're not. And Gaetano misinterprets this. Which makes him even more stupid. Gaetano is very interesting to me. He's so he's he's a brute ape. <laughs> but he's all strangely poetic with his odd knife dances and his poetic perspective, his expression about things in po- poetry that he's remembered. I don't know how he comes up with this stuff. He's listening to music and he hears things in his head that other people don't hear. He's dancing around with his knife and he's just a weird dude. He is a weird, weird dude. It's like he has not much in between his ears, but what he has is like things he's passionate for, like the music and the violence and stuff like that. So I'm saying eBay violence sees this as just stupidity by Gaetano. Like, oh my God, you don't even you don't even see what's going on here. E- either that, unless Noah Hawley pulls a double triple reverse on us and he makes Gaetano some genius, where he's fooling Josto. 
by these false embraces and you're new, you're my new best partner now and our we're an un, undefeatable team but I, eBay violence is seeing through this somehow yeah I mean I hope they don't do that with Gitano because they've given us nothing in this whole series to think that would happen I think that would be like a cop out yeah but that's another gripe Michelle from my, my end here is Gaetano was a, made to be a coward he, he wet his pants and shot his own man when the two women came in to attack him. And then he goes out guns a-blazing when he's being shot at with machine guns by eight guys. Okay, so, Gitano did, he did what? What what did you say he did? When the, when the, when the two escapees, the, the women, Swanee and oh, mm-hmm. Zelmar came in on him. He, he's so afraid and he shoots his own guy and he's afraid to run down and help and now he's walking out, guns a-blazing, shooting eight guys with machine guns. So, like Loy says, you can't be smart and stupid at the same time. I, I'm saying you can't be cowardly and heroic at the same time. And in this episode, he's, like, super heroic. Okay. So what is he? So what know. is he? <laughs> it's, it's not... doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. But he gets down on one knee and he swears his oath to his wise brother that he'll do his will. And Josto accepts this oath of poison. I don't even know. What does that mean? An oath of poison. And warns him that if he betrays him, he has bullets for him. Gitano stands up and picks up Josto and kind of lugs him up in the air to cheers from all the men except for Ibal. Well, I guess an oath of poison is you do you you stick with it or there will be negative consequences. Okay. So we go to Loy and he's looking out his window and the guys come in and tell him that it didn't work. The brothers are a team now. So what do we do? And Loy says one word. He says Fargo. So what yeah. does that mean? They're I'm waiting for the out. other Noah Holly foot to fall and to hear. Gaetano is trying to fool Josto. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen too, but I wouldn't be surprised. That perhaps yeah. perhaps it did work, that Lloyd did turn them against each other, and now Gaetano is one-upped on Josto. But, I mean, all appearances, it seems like they're both kind of duped into loving each other as partners, and perhaps it did not work. Well, it just wouldn't make any sense, though, because well, it doesn't why make would he sense. beat him up? It doesn't make sense that he's afraid and brave. <laughs> no, but right after, I mean, he beats him up. How how long was Josto out? Ten minutes? And then he's changed his mind about it? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, this was an interesting scene where Lloyd's wife goes to the funeral home and has the conversation with Debril. And she tells her when she gets in there. First of all, she doesn't want coffee or tea. She wants some alcohol. And she tells her, you know, you're going to try to talk me into helping you, and I'm telling you now I'm not going to be able to do it. And Debril goes into this is their home. It's been her husband's family since the turn of the century. Mrs. Cannon says people come to Lloyd needing money, thinking they have nothing to lose, but there's always lower you can go which brings us to our title of this episode yeah michelle i think i'm batting a thousand here because i don't have i don't understand this scene either okay because buell and loy own this joint now buell doesn't have to go in and ask for permission to get the funeral held for satchel they just tell debril and thurman here's how it's going to be they own that place. They have, they have, they own their loan. They have a sort of Damocles hanging over them for that. And plus, they've taken over physically the building. Then she doesn't have to come in and ask for this. They can just take it. You're you're holding a funeral for my son, whether you like it or not. I guess you could, but she talks about how she was in there five years ago for somebody and how it was very meaningful. And she's asking her to do that for her son. You can't make somebody do something with meaning. You can make somebody do something, maybe, in a situation like this. But, And I think she's going to help them. She has think, to. That's my uh, point. They have to. No, no. I think Lloyd's wife is going to help 
the Smutneys. Oh, maybe. Help them do what? Um, get their get their stuff back. Come out on top in some way. I'm thinking they may come out on top. They may be the ones that do. So you're saying if you give me real kindness and give me a genuine funeral for Satchel, I'll help you get your business back and you're free from Loy's upper hand? Well, maybe, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe what, not quite Take out the that. maybe. What are you saying? Maybe not quite that much, but no, not you're free if you just do this. But, and it's like Debril says, she, well, she tells her. She, she says, I have a daughter. She's 17. She has these dreams I can't even fathom. And it can't be that she falls because I'm too stubborn or weak to ask for your help. I don't want charity, but I want to be able to make it right. I just want a fair shake. That's what she's saying to her. And then this is where Mrs. Cannon asked her to hold the service for zero. And this is where Debril says it would be an honor. And it happened like in that order. So not that she would give her everything back just for the funeral, but that maybe she would see that Lloyd gives them a fair shake and doesn't take over everything. Maybe, but Buell comes to her first. This doesn't just happen because they're friends having tea every Tuesday. Buell comes to the mortuary to ask for this to happen. Right. She well, she's going to do something for her son. And she yeah, also but she, she prompted this whole discussion. Right. It wasn't offered because she, she happened to be talking to Zibril and it came up. She, she prompted the funeral for Satchel. What do you mean she prompted the funeral? She, the whole meet, the whole reason for their meeting was that she wanted this, this yeah. mortuary to be the, where, the place where Satchel is remembered or whatever. Right. What do you call a funeral when the kid isn't even there? The body's not there. No, don't know. I don't know. So then Ethel Rita is listening to French music as she admires her fodder ring. When Lemuel comes to the door and he, they start talking about jazz, he mocks her a little because she picks Louis Armstrong and, as, as her favorite. And Lemuel says, well, what about Dizzy or Bird? And so they're talking. Lemuel says he's a horn player. This was interesting. But he's lugging boxes because everything in life is an experience. From climbing a mountain to scrubbing a toilet. And no, he's not climbed a mountain, but he's scrubbed his share of toilets, which was kind of a... I don't know. I kind of like that view of life. Well, there's clearly a romantic thing budding between Ethelreda and Lemuel here. You're right. You called it last time. How could there not be? 17-year-old girl and a 20-year-old dude. <laughs> They're both good-looking. They're both close to each other. It's pretty inevitable. Well, Debril comes in and gets Lemuel for his mama and tells uh, Ethel Rita that she has to keep her distance that he is her captor and she can't afford to make any mistakes yeah mama one warns Ethel Rita away and mama two gives Lemuel the evil eye on his way past well mama two uh, was there to tell him about Satchel being or uh, Zero being dead right yeah, but she gave him the, like, I think it was related to the one mom warning her daughter not to mess with the captor, and the other mama kind of mess, saying to her son, don't mess with the captive, capti, captivity, whatever. Mm, I don't, I didn't see that at all. I can't see, imagine she would have anything on her mind except having to tell the big brother that his little brother is dead and that was what she was well you also about. didn't think they were in going to flirt with each other i didn't I did. well i didn't know if they were but I, just, I didn't feel it last time but you did okay so orietta's in the hospital talking to the nurse about where dr harvard is and she's told that he's been transferred to a hospital that specializes in poisoning evidently he has had strychnine i thought we said something else remember you were talking about like the adhesive well that's the only thing they showed I know. because when she baked the here's another okay am i six for six now they oh. showed her making the ipecac pie because they showed ipecac in the on the table with all the other flour and apples and whatever stuff she put in there 
when she made the macaron, all they showed yeah. was the glue and the macaron stuff. They didn't show that strychnine. Right. So what are we supposed to think? Yeah. I don't know. I agree. I mean, I agree they didn't show that at all. Well, I'm kind of glad that it was something more serious than his glue, his throat gluing shut. Because right. strychnine so, seems very... Po- I don't know anything about its chemical composition, but it seems like a drop or two could really hurt you and could, could in fact, go inside a macaron and not be detected. Yeah, when I looked it up, it said strychnine is um, highly toxic, colorless, bitter. So... But like we said, would a supernatural being be this worried about, oh shit, they moved him, now I gotta, run, I gotta head out of town? No, I don't think so. And I think she ran out, she even ran out on uh, Josto to get, get there because she wanted to find this stuff out. But yes, yeah, she finds out they transferred him out of state after the attempt on his life before and until he can identify his assailant. So this could end up coming back on Josto. Too, that this happened. Maybe, I mean, she—he was awake when she was brushing the crumbs off his collar and being all smarmy when he was choking to death. So he's going to remember that. I think he's going to remember. He's going to remember Orietta. I mean, it could come back on Josto some way or another, but he, I think he's clearly—he was still alive when she was brushing those crumbs off his lapel. Well, he was alive and he was looking at her. You know, remember we talked about him looking at her and seeing through the windows the red light shining through like she was something evil. Okay, well, that's so, my yeah, point. He knows sure. directly about Ariette. If he wakes up, he's going to say, hey, that bitch poisoned. That bitch, she did it and she didn't try to help me. Yeah. Even if she didn't do it, she didn't try to help me. She kind of let me choke. But that's not what the, that's not what they're saying. You know, they're talking about the attempt on his life from before and that he needs to identify his assailants. So, right, yeah. well, they don't know to connect the two. Right, but, I mean, it seems kind of irresponsible that he would leave her at the hospital to work as a nurse, knowing what she did. But, I don't know. So, Orietta goes home, frantically starts packing up when she finds uh, Ethel Rita's journal that she's left behind. She had not found so, it well, up until So, let's that think point. what could... let's. Let's read. Let's do a little podcasting, Michelle. What could happen? Harvard wakes up. He knows Orietta did something to him, or at very least, very minimal, didn't do anything to help him. So, what's going to happen? Josto, Orietta's worried. She's kind of in this little micro love affair now with Josto. Josto's definitely in love affair with her, which I am too. I can't blame him. So what plot would yeah, Josto and Orietta do? Josto is. What what could they cook up? To, I mean, he could really help her by finishing him off before he can testify or before he can get fully recovered. You know, they they as a team could help each other. Well, he says he's going to kill him anyway, so he might do that. I don't. I I can't imagine that he would know she did that. No, you but know, she would just t- she could just her. tell him. It seems like they're sharing more info about their past with each other. Now she could just say, "Hey, I you know, I was maybe she doesn't even know why she's doing it, but she could say, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this stuff and I I did this and they're about to catch me and I need you to help me." Is, would she, she do that? I can't kno- picture her doing that. Well, she knows who he is. She knows his she knows the manpower, the firepower he has. She does, but now she doesn't know what he that he attempted that. No, but who better, who better to help you in this type of a problem than your Italian gangster boyfriend, right? True. Yeah, I guess that's true. The only thing I can think is maybe if he wakes up and he doesn't remember for some reason. But I don't, I don't really know why he wouldn't. But if he doesn't remember that it was Orietta, then they could just go after Josto, and this could be what takes Josto down. That would not be very beneficial to the story, though. 
Yeah. The fact that she's that she did it, he, we we saw her brush him off while he was still awake. Now he's moved where she can't get to him. That's it's all set up for him to know it was her, and right. she can't re- resolve it. And now she needs some manpower to help her fix it. And she it has is, a, and she has an Italian gangster boyfriend. So it's it's a perfect recipe for her leaning on Josto to take care of it. But the only problem I have with that scenario is them leaving her to work as a nurse in the hospital while they wait. And what are they waiting for? Well, nobody knows she did anything wrong. Except he does, and he's awake. He's made a full recovery, is what she was told. Is he awake or is he alive? A full recovery is what they said. All right. On the phone, so I don't know. Maybe he's in love with her, too. He doesn't want to turn her in. She's very compelling, Michelle. You don't see it, but as a guy, I do. Can we have that as our um, Twitter poll this week? Whether or not Orietta Mayflower is girlfriend material? Sure. Okay. So, Orianna finds Ethel Rita's journal, and she's looking at it and immediately goes and gets the letter she stole from Dr. Harvard. And she's really distressed. I mean, she's really upset. She can't believe it. She feels like she has somehow been, had something done to her. And then we see Ethel Rita walk out of her house. And man, that was like the perfect picture. She's walking out of her out of her double doors and walking down the center of these steps. Just just beautiful. And she's going to the bus stop, which happens to be right at the end of her driveway. And we hear the full letter being read. And then we see Orietta watching her from behind the lace curtain. Yeah, so put her on the list too. So Orietta oh, yeah. turns to Josta. Okay, big boy, I got a couple jobs for you, man. You like that auto or Orietta asphyxiation? Here's what you got to do for me. Harvard, boom. Ethelreda, boom. Yeah, Josto's not that good at that stuff. He's yeah, already failed he's the, that once. Uh, Michelle, he's an Italian criminal. Well, he already tried to kill Dr. Harvard one time. So, I don't know what to tell you. So, Lloyd pulls up to his house, and he's just going to go in and, like, change his clothes or whatever. And the driver's scanning the neighborhood, looking around when Deffy gets out of his car. And the driver tries to stop him by showing him his gun, and Deffy says there's no power on earth that can keep a U.S. lawman from the execution of his duty. And many other things. But With that the was... background of the American Eagle backing him up. <laughs> What more could you You might have said that another time, but I remember. No, it it was something about the American Eagle there, too, or the something. So then we go to Lloyd walking downstairs, and there sits Deffy with his back to him, that big cowboy hat on. And Lloyd asks if he'd like a drink and is told the alcohol is like a friend with a knife. Deffy, he had some great lines. He says he's been bamboozled at every turn, and he's just there to do a simple job. So the main thing is, Deffy wants him to tell him what he did with Zelmar and Swanee. And Lloyd says that he made a promise to them. And Lloyd starts pointing out how he is an upstanding citizen. Deffy talks about how criminals reject accountability, morality, ethics, and all that kind of stuff. Deffy says the Lord knows it's a disguise, his being an upstanding citizen. Would a family man trade his son for monetary gain? And when he says that, Lloyd gets really upset and they all pull guns. And Deffy says since a criminal is only capable of loyalty when it suits his own interest, that's not this case. This situation does not suit Lloyd's interest. And Lloyd laughs and says he likes him because he's unfriendly, but it's like he's doing him a favor. Right. So Deffy's a bastard, but he's totally right here. 
like you you're you're going to protect these girls, but you didn't even protect your own son. You turned him in for your own favor, your own advantage, financial advantage, criminal enterprise, furthering your criminal enterprise. But you're not going to turn these girls in. He catches them in, in kind of a you know a contradiction of his philosophy. It is. It is a contradiction, and he's right, and he knows he's got some leverage over him because of that but at the same time he's saying you're not a good guy because you do this stuff and by the way I'm going to make you do this stuff so there's something a little maybe hypocritical about that too but Lloyd tells him that when he crosses the state line don't come back it's not safe in Missouri for him anymore yeah he warns him He, it's, Lloyd's a totally interesting character to me because he's very He's very smart, and he's actually pretty kind, even though he's a criminal. He's warning Deffy. He's essentially telling Deffy, don't come back over the state line because I'm going to send somebody out after you to kill you. He doesn't say the second part, but it ain't safe for you anymore. He's going to tell Weff to, to kill him. And he's yeah. warning him to be careful. Right. But what, what was the point of warning him? Because he's a good guy. But what's the point of leaning down to zero and saying, "Hey, you know, I want you to be happy as your ch- as a child in my family." He's he's a good guy. Okay, but he told Weff to kill him. Right. No. It's like giving him a fair chance. That wasn't a fair chance. He said, "Don't come back." They were in Philadelphia. Not yet. They weren't. He yeah, knows he's going to go after. He knows he's there at the train station in Kansas City, Michelle. Right, but they well, you're right. But they tell him not. He tells him not to come back once he gets them. He doesn't tell him don't go after them. Right, but I think he's kind of saying it may not be a hey, be careful while you're at the train station because I'm going to send Weff after you as soon as you leave here. It's a it's kind of a warning. Yeah, it's but a, it's, it's an unfair warning. You can do this, but then don't don't well, come why back. Did, after why you do you do think it. he said it? That's why I think he said it. It's a no. it's a coded warning. It, it's not safe for you no. any anymore. I think he said it because he thought, because he wanted Daffy to think that his dealings with Lloyd were done unless he came back. I think he said it to give him a false sense of security. Maybe might be right. So he wouldn't be suspicious of anything going on at the train station. So Deffy is back at the police precinct and he's getting his group together to go get the fugitives and Wes whispering on the phone and then goes to Deffy and says he's thought about their conversation and he wants to be a part of this. And did you believe him at this point or did you know something was going on? Well, I think I think we need some interpretation here. And I think he was on the phone with Loy and Loy was telling him kill Daffy. But we didn't know that at this point. Yeah, but that's... What I'm asking you is, did you believe him when he said that? That he wants to be a part of this? And he actually went into this whole thing. No, because of that. Because that's why I'm telling you that. I think he's... Well, I I should say, I think it's a partial truth that Weff did probably become a cop because he needs structure and he needs to do things a certain way and, you know, a stupid tap 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 and counting lieutenant indians and doing the door lock up and down he needs structure and maybe that is why he entered the structure of being a policeman but he knows he just got orders to kill this guy right but did you believe him even even after he told him he was talking to Lloyd, you didn't believe him to believe him about what about everything he was saying. He was talking about how about he went he yeah, became a I police officer that. to be in control and the risk made him nervous. He didn't realize that. So he takes money to lessen the risk, but then he finds out that gives him less control. So it's like he's drowning on dry land. And Daffy falls for it and offers to throw him a rope. And he's already made an excuse. He tells him it was Lloyd. He tells him it was Lloyd that called, but Lloyd doesn't want those girls to come back on him. And that's it. So I'm asking you if you believed Webb, if you thought Webb was trying to, because after this, and he even says, after they talked, 
he he wants to do this. You know, he well, wants to be the good, good guy. it's good cover. It's true. It's probably true that Wef got comfort by being a cop. And it's probably really good cover for him to then reveal to Deffy, Lloyd just called me and he wants me to take out the girls. Right. So his little mini confession there in Deffy's eyes is like, all right, he's back in. So Weff played a little three-degree chess here, too. He got Deffy to trust him a little bit more by this quasi-confession. Did you believe Weff when he was saying this stuff? Yeah, you got to be more specific, Michelle, because we're talking about five different things. But I believe he was telling the truth about his comfort. No, from- did you believe that he was going after this? Did you believe that that's what Lloyd told him? Do you believe yeah. that he was wanting to feel this control and just be a good cop again, like he was saying? Yes. I did too. That's all. Nonetheless, I think he's still in the. After that all being said, he's got a loaded gun with a bullet in it for Deffy, and he knew, he knew it at that time. Yeah, he knew it, but he convinced me that he didn't. And I didn't think he was going to do it up until just seconds before he did it. So No, I think Wef's, I think Wef at that time knew he was going to kill Deffy, and he was setting him up to be comforted by No, Anne absolutely. Beckett. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm saying I didn't know until right before he did it. I didn't know that that was the plan. Yeah, Wef was a dope in the first three episodes or whatever point he turned where we started to see he had a deeper, you know, Mm -hmm. type of character build. Now he's a really interesting, deep character. And he's way smarter than he appeared as as some dope, you know, knocking... <laughs> Whatever his code was, but he's way more interesting than he was. He's way smarter than I think I gave him at first credit for. And way more dangerous than I thought he was, too. So Zelmar and Swanee are in the train station. Swanee's still in pocketfuls of candy when the troops pull up and unload in the, from the car. And Weff can't get out of the car. He's really struggling. And I still, I still, when I watched it the second time and I knew what happened, of course I knew why he was struggling to get out of the car. But I couldn't figure it out the first time. I thought he was just having a, you know, I thought he was struggling with going back to being a police officer and being in control and kind of taking back that control. Deffy quotes some little rhyme and gets out of the car and Weff just can't do it. So, Deffy says, once they get inside the building, he says that the objective is to bring, or as they're going in, he says, uh, the objective is to bring them in alive, but if they object in any way, drop them where they stand. And he goes up top. He's looking down from up top, and they're coming, they're going around the station to come down the steps. But he's looking down the floor, and this is where Swanee sees the Iceman. And Zelmar gets a feeling, too. She stands up. She sees everybody looking, like, back on the corners of those steps. Everybody's glancing back there, so she feels like something's going on. And then she sees Deffy, and he sees her. And he takes off toward toward them, and they pull out their weapons and kiss and then say, come and get it, dirty coppers, and start to fire at anyone and everyone. So Swanee sees the snowman. She's the first non. What's the what's the family? I don't I don't know if to call it the Debril family or the uh, the Cannon. No, oh the because uh, they're Smarties? married. Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> but she's the first non-family member to see the snowman, and he's also been around Swanee before when she was nearly dead. So I think I still think he's death. He's some sort of a symbol for death because he shows up like, okay, is it time yet? Is it time now? It's close. She was almost dead from the Ipecac or whatever her illness was from the pie. And now she's almost dead from the shootout. So that's her warning. And then Zomar's warning is the, like you said, the reactions in the other people. Right. So yeah. why why did you we saw the snowman a lot more clearly now what did you think of him and why was he dressed up like an old time clothes and we know the we know the Smutney Thurman Smutney's family owned the funeral home since the turn of the century right. so fifty years ago that probably was the outfit in the 
1899 to 1900 transition that looked about what that guy was wearing, the snowman. He wasn't wearing modern clothes. No. So what connection do you see with the, I guess we'll call them the Smutneys and the snowman? How did he, why is he always around? Well, I don't know. And, and, and he was, remember there for a while we talked about that his home base was in the uh, mortuary. And then he ended up being in the Paris Hotel with them. And now he's all the way at the train station. So he's definitely able to move. I don't know. I just see him kind of like a Grim Reaper sort of figure. And I don't, but I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. The Grim Reaper seems to be kind of a. I guess the Grim Reaper is he takes when it's your time he comes and takes you. That's how I think of the Grim Reaper. Right. The Snowman, I kind of think like he's ready. He's ready for you when your time comes. Like he's passive. But. I don't know. I don't know the difference. And I don't still don't know why he's there. So what that he's there? You know, is he there to help? Is he there to protect? Did he protect Zelmar? Because she didn't die. No, I don't think so. But I don't know. See, she didn't see him last time either. But there again, Ethelreda's seen him. And she didn't die. Maybe you only... Because I was thinking maybe you only see him if you're going to die. Like Swanee saw him, but Ethelreda's seen him, so I don't know. It's a mystery. But we hear the train sound that you've talked about before, and then gunfire. Wethy or Wethy, Weth has gotten out of the car. He's finally able to get out of the car, and he runs in, and it's a bloodbath, and there's cops and civilians slaughtered everywhere and he hears gunfire and Daffy saying drop your weapon Weff walks up to them as Daffy is saying they ran out of bullets and he gives Weff the handcuffs and tells him to cuff them and Weff takes the handcuffs after a moment he hesitates for a moment and then he shoots Daffy and then he shoots Swanee Zelmar screams looks up and she sees the Iceman then and then she runs toward Weff and knocks him down as he fires at her and misses. And Weff lays on the floor singing his little Indian voice. I wonder why he didn't go after her. I don't know. All I know, Michelle, is the other criminal duo that we saw, the, the Kitchen Brothers, where one was killed and the other escaped. The one that escaped came back to help an innocent. Later he helped Nikki Swango in the bus. So I'm thinking that this Zelmer may come back to help somebody. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the end of her. But then we go to Loy looking out a window, smoking thoughtfully. So, yeah, he definitely had set that up, and that's what they were telling us. And then the fathers are outside in the snow with a fire and everything. Gatano comes out, again conducting his silent orchestra. He brings Josto a drink. They're talking. He asks him about Calamita. And Josto tells him that he sent him after Rabbi and Satchel after Antoon screwed everything up. Gatano laughs and says, so you told our enemy that his son was dead? How do you know Rabbi wouldn't go to him? And Josto just kind of shrugs, like, uh, you know, this kind of, I don't know, I didn't know. And in place of him going, I can't believe that you risk my life for this. You know, he just calls him a python again and they hug. Their mother comes outside and calls them inside before they catch cold like their little boys. And then we have this really cool intermittent blackout screen with guys running through the brush toward them firing. And then it fades out to black and then it comes back and you see it. Gatano pulls two handguns and walks right into it until they retreat. And Josto's hiding behind the wood stack. And then they hear screaming from inside, and two of their women are dead, including their mama. And Gatano looks like he might literally blow a gasket, wide-eyed and breathing heavily. 
And that was the end. Yeah, so I'll repeat. I don't like Gaetano being... Like Lois says, you can't be smart and stupid simultaneously. He can't be bold and then cowardly and then bold like this. It's not... It's not very linear. It's not very consistent. Yeah. I had forgotten about Zelmar Swanee breaking in and him standing there. I mean, he shot his own dude because he was so afraid at the door. Why not, why not rush up to the door, fling it open, and shoot the bad guy or keep the good guy? You know, he just he's afraid. He shoots through the door. Yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten about that because I picture him as being pretty in-your-face, like, dangerously brave. But you're right. And they had that. made the point by Lois saying you can't be smart and stupid. They made the point that you can't be two contradictory things at the same time. Right. So maybe there's something brilliant that the Coens or Noah Hawley have cooked up that is waiting to be like revealed to us, but I don't know. I don't either, but I, all I know is if you had issues with this one, did you watch the next ones? Yeah, so The Wizard of Oz is very yeah. ready to appear on our screens. Yeah, because if you could find, like, so much in this one, I think the next one's going to be the fishnado all over again. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. The, the supernatural, the spaceship, the fishnado, that doesn't bother me. That's just cone, or the, you know, the the supernatural purgatory bowling alley. That stuff doesn't bother me. It's just the, the human stuff that people don't do things that way. The chewing the meat. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I don't know. I don't either. But oh, Wizard of Oz, there's clearly a tornado. It's black and white. There's houses getting the cars lifted up into the sky. And we see Rabbi next time, too. So we're going to find out about him. I'm thinking it could turn in. Who, who was that that came out of the bushes? Was that the Irish? I didn't see that. I All I saw was a tornado and a black and white. No, no, I'm talking about the end of this episode. The ones that killed all the Fadas. Those are the Fargo gang. Those are the guys that Lloyd shipped the guns to. The 300 machine guns. Okay, okay, okay. That's Mort, what's his name, up in Fargo. Okay. Remember when Lois said Fargo? That was that. That was what it was. Okay. For some reason, I kept trying to picture, is it the Italians? Is it who I did? Okay, that makes sense. The Italians were the victims. I mean, the Irish. I kept thinking that it was maybe somebody that Rabbi had went and somehow got or something. That well, for some interestingly, reason that was Mike Milligan, who, by the way, I watched a series on YouTube of not a series, but a, like a compilation of Mike Milligan's fa- famous sayings. Mm-hmm. He is a freaking bastard. He was a mean dude. Really? Yeah. He would be like he would be like um, coming up, catching some guy, and he'd be like, you know. I'm the new king, and and uh, the king grants a favor, and a king has to rule with a favor, or a king has to rule with kindness and cruelty. And the guy's like, "Oh, thank God, I'll take the kindness." And he and he goes, "Too bad, I just gave that to the maid. You got cruelty." And he shotguns the guy. Mm-hmm. So little Satchel, he's that guy. He uh, he really got inculcated into this crime, like. Orietta and her Munchausen's or Josto and his abuse. Well, that's sad. I don't like to think about little Satchel turning into that. All right, Michelle, so do you have any predictions? We got East-West. That probably could be relatable to Wizard of Oz. That's the next episode. Uh, East, the Wicked Witch of the West think was the west wicked witch of the east wicked witch of the west right in wizard of oz and the good and the good witch of the north glenda the good witch of the north okay but i don't know why east west maybe new york and kansas or and then happy has got to be that dude is episode 410 right and then story uh americana okay the final so, come on, Michelle, you do, you're really good at recapping what we've all already seen, but what do you think is going to happen? Well, how do I know? There's no way to you're know run, what's You're in a podcast, Michelle. Shoot out a theory. 
I mean, I don't, I have no idea what's, I, I think it's going to turn more into, I hope, I'm hopeful we'll hear more about Rabbi and what happens with Rabbi and Satchel. Okay, I got to take on that. I don't think the Bible address with the seed and feed store, I don't think that was on purpose. I think that was something he forgot about and left in there, and I think they're going to be caught by surprise. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think uh, Rabbi's that careless but we'll see i don't know you stick an old you stick something like oh here's an old friend keep my number you stick it in the bible like okay i'll keep this and then i don't know i could i could see him being super smart and and overlooking that and still be super smart well sure anybody could make a mistake but i just that's not how i see that i see it i don't know there's something about rabbi i think he might have been planning something for a long, long time. This may be his thing. That may be the true plot of it. I don't think so. Because he would have never left Satchel alone and then realized, oh shit, I got to get back there because they, they just one up me. I think he's a good guy, but I don't think he's a th- third level chess player like Loy. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't what, know. how about some predictions? Who's going to live? Who's going to die? How about Loy? I don't, I don't know that any of the canons are going to live. I don't know that the canons are going to live because I think if the canons lived, then Satchel would probably go back home. He's just a little boy, and he wanted to go home. So that makes me think the canons will not live. Maybe Lemuel. So that, that would be it. what about Lemuel and Ethelreda? Um, maybe they're running the funeral home. So they're both going to live? You're just going to say everybody's going to live because you're too freaking kind. I just said <laughs> the canons, I don't think they will. So Buell's think... dead, Loy's dead. I think probably. But I think Lemuel's pro- alive? Yeah. Maybe Lemuel. If any of them live, I think it'll be Lemuel. What about Josto? I don't think Josto. I think, do not think Josto's long for this world. What about your microphone? Um, I just hit it with my knee. <laughs> what about Orietta? Orietta might escape. She's like something that might escape VM and be Varga. out there somewhere. What do you think? She's VM Varga or Malvo? Kind of. What about... Uh, Maybe she actually is Malvo. Gaetano. No, Gaetano's got to die. Uh, I think most of the Fadas and most of the Canons are going out, is, would be my guess. I think Calamita's probably going to die. And what about Desi? The... <laughs> Poor Desi. Poor Desi. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if some of this stuff even happened at their wedding. Could be. That's a big Italian crime thing. That was the yep. first opening scene of The Godfather. It was a big-ass, like, huge 20-minute scene. Mm-hmm. Poor Desi's an idiot, but she doesn't even know that she's being dissed left and right. She's happy with her father. She's happy with Josto. She doesn't see the blowjob face thing. She's just, ooh, giggly and happy. Well, she, how is she an idiot? That's not an idiot. She an doesn't idiot, des- isn't. It's kind of being an idiot, Michelle. I mean, she's being lied to. Yeah, okay. She's brilliant. And a female back in that time, you know? I mean, what kind of rights? I don't know. Please, all females, write to Michelle at TN, not scathing tweets. Michelle at TN. Or from TN. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Who else? What about Charlie Parker? Not just kidding. Who? So dumb. All right, Michelle, that's about all I got. I hope uh, we see everybody survive, and I hope... Oh, Josto and Bessie have a great wedding. You and do not. Orietta's his mistress, and everybody's happy. That is that really what you hope? No, I want Orietta to be my girlfriend. <sighs> okay. All right, Michelle. East West four hundred nine. See you next week. See you then. Thanks Mike. for putting up with my grumpiness. I'm grumpy today. It's okay. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs>